Are you ready to be the change you want to see in the world? Are you ready to make choices that have a positive impact on your daily life, your community, and the planet? You are in the right place. I'm Anne-Therese Gennari. And I'm Robin Shaw. And this is the Hate Change Podcast. Today's episode is sponsored by Four Days. They're one of my favorite clothing brands because they use upcycled cradle to cradle and got certified organic materials to create seasonless, effortless, comfortable pieces that I live in for days. They have a closed loop model where you get swap credits with every purchase. So you can send back that four days item you've been wearing and swap it for something new. They just added some new styles to their upcycled rib collection, which is full of retro vibes, cute crops, and versatile pieces that hold their stretch and shape. And better yet, every piece is made from recycled fabrics or threads, which saves on tons of water, prevents CO2 emissions, and keeps materials out of landfills. My personal favorites are the upcycled rib polo and my four better days vintage crew t-shirt. Hey Change podcast listeners get 15% off with code HeyChange15. That's HeyChange15 or 15% off. With carbon neutral shipping and ethical manufacturing, Four Days is sure to become one of your favorite brands too. Get yourself into some good organic closed loop fashion for days. Hey guys, welcome back to another season of Hey Change Podcast. I am so honored, first of all, to for real this time have a um, uh, a co-host. Robin Shaw is here with me and I am just incredibly excited to not do this on my own anymore. And uh, I can't tell you how much love and light and just, I don't know, sunshine Robin has already brought to this podcast. So you're in for a treat. Robin, thank you so much for being here with me. Thank you so much for so many things. Thank you for having me co-host this show with you. This has been an incredible experience. I'm so excited for every single episode that we have coming out this season. And thank you for also being a light in my life because it's really because of you that I have taken up the role as activist and advocate. So I am just so grateful for the way that our friendship has changed my life. And I also still don't believe that. Robin share that story to someone like it's because of Anne-Therese I'm now you know doing all this work I'm like how is that even possible <laughs> so I'm incredibly honored every time I hear that um and for the listeners who had no idea who you are and who I am maybe even um we met the first time actually I think we just reached out on Instagram a few years mm-hmm. ago um I was somewhat somewhat I was scouting for my modeling agency and I saw like here is a badass mother and model and she's speaking up for the planet and like I think she could be some real role models material role models management being my agency and I think the first call we ever had was for me to kind of just like scout you and ask if you were interested in joining our agency um and then from there you joined our um community in New York City Model Mafia and um I think that's where I first met you in real life and yeah, it's been yeah. since then. We had we kept seeing each other in different events in New York City when we still both lived there and um, hit it off right away. And I knew you want, I wanted to be your friend and it's just been an incredible journey ever since. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, I mean, I just remember like seeing the way that you present information about climate change in such a positive and uplifting and actionable way. It just really changed the way that I viewed what's possible um, so yeah, I, I'm really inspired every day still about the way that you create content and the way that you invite people in with a lot of love and warmth and positivity as opposed to the doom and gloom. Um, so yeah, it was definitely through 
your leadership in creating content and the kinds of work that you do that I saw space for myself to step into a role that looked like that. Like you really like were a model of what that could look like for me. So um, since then I've, I've stepped into that role and have helped to organize protests and rallies and events and stuff. And it's been really incredible. It's only been a few years for me, but it's been a really amazing journey to, um, to know that I can use my voice. And now I'm inspiring other people to use their voice too, which is part of my mission. <laughs> and that's how it all ripple effects. And I just yeah. want to say that you stepped into that role with grace. And it's honestly hard to believe you haven't done this for a lifetime because you're such a natural leader. And Robin is someone who just shows up and she's just like, let's do this people. And I have made a sign. I think we were <laughs> marching for climate, um, uh, climate justice. It was the climate march in September of 2019, right? Mm -hmm. um, Greta Thunberg was in New York City and it was that massive climate strike that happened all over the world. And so we were marching in New York City with our model mafia community. And you had made this incredible banner of like, I think you said the oceans are rising and so are we. Yeah. Yeah. And that's just something that you decided to do as a craft work <laughs> on side of modeling and everything else you have going on and being a mother and whatnot. Um, but yeah, that's just the kind of commitment that you show up with. Before we dive into interviewing each other and getting to know each other on a more deeper level, let's just let the audience know why we decided to call this season an optimist in action. Anyone who listened to me before knows that I am a stubborn optimist. I truly believe in optimism. And I, I just got this light bulb moment last summer thinking like there needs to be a month for optimism. And so, and then it was September um, and I thought, well, October is also an O, so it could be Optimus October. <laughs> so I started playing with that thought and I was so like set on making something out of this. And it's going to be a social media campaign of some sort. Are we going to sp like spread the optimism? And I don't know how or why I reached out to you, but I mentioned this idea to you when you had some thoughts on it. And yeah. that's also what I love about you because you're like, <laughs> let's just see what else we can do with this. Um, <laughs> um, so, so yeah, we, we talked about it and ultimately what it landed in is Optimist in action. Yeah. yeah. I remember, I remember when we started talking about it, I thought I, I loved it. I love this idea of like, let's create space specifically for optimism. And that is so important and necessary, but I had this sense of like, you know, if we limit it to October, we're, we're literally limiting it and the time frame, and then we'd have to wait another year to come back to kind of have it be this celebration of optimism again. Like the optimism is this beautiful thing, but it also can be theoretical. And so that's for me where it's like, let's tie it into an action. And then it was like literally any action, just taking action. So optimist in action for me is about believing that the world can be better, believing that we can do better and then actually doing better, doing whatever is in our realm of possibility in our action to take, to actually take those steps. So I, once, once we kind of landed on that together of like optimists in action, it was very exciting for me as well. Yeah. I remember when you texted me, you were like, you know, you're so much about activism and action. And like, that's just how I think of you. And you're like, what if it becomes optimist in action? Yes, because you had the action squad at the time, which has since merged with the collective. So it was like, these are like two of your like big words in a way that are part of your personal brand in a way. I mean, optimism, climate optimist and action. So, yeah. Yeah. And I'm, when you said that, I'm like, obviously it needs to be optimism and action. And ever since <laughs> I just kind of built on this concept and the more I think about it, I'm like, I am an optimist in action. I really want to inspire and empower people to be optimists in action for multiple reasons. One being that I think that is the way to ultimately create happiness. 
you can't just sit around and hope that things are going to go well or think that I'm just going to choose this mindset of being optimistic and then everything is going to be great because life happens, right? And like all sorts of stuff can, can just kind of appear out of nowhere. And I think sometimes you have this bullshit detector that will tell you, you know what, there's not that many things to be optimistic about right now. Like you may want to be optimistic, but that's not the truth. But on the other end of that, like, well, you can create optimism, like make a reason to be optimistic, like show up as a change you want to see in the world every single day. It's like practicing it's just as much as you would have to stay on a diet or continue working out or like continue learning new things. Like you can't just do it once and think that's like, that's it, right? You have to create the optimism. Like it's something you actually commit to and keep showing up for every single day. So yeah, yeah. it was just, I, I love the whole concept and that's why we were doing the season. Yeah. And I'll, I'll just add as somebody who is recently sober, I, I gave up drinking alcohol last summer, switching from a lifestyle of trying to medicate and kind of put band-aids on top of the pain of whatever I was personally going through. And, and I imagine other people, you know, have so many different pains that we, we try to medicate in different ways. Going from that to choosing sobriety and having a purpose is so important. And when you talk about that's how you create happiness in your life, it, it really truly has been that for me in terms of creating meaning in my life, knowing that I am every day waking up and choosing to participate in something that can help make the world a better place helps me to kind of grapple with the pain and suffering that I might have inside and has helped me to heal and help me to shift my focus on, you know, what are the things that bring me joy? Is it the little things like, you know, you know, going out and having drinks, which I used to love doing that and, you know, don't knock it if, you know, if it's something that you enjoy, but at the same time for me, it was too much. And then choosing to be participating in something where I'm getting really deep meaning. I feel connected to source energy. I feel connected to my friends and my community, my community in a much deeper way. So this kind of work, when, when we say that it creates happiness in your life, that's real. It is real. Yeah. yeah. And that's also, it, it ties so beautifully into what role activism plays in your life. And I think many people tend to be afraid of the word activism. I think people are afraid of committing to activism because once you commit, you're in it. And I think also many times when we are approached by all these different activist groups, these people are so passionate about what they're doing. And so they want to just like get you in their class and be like, come in here and do this work with us. And you're like, I don't have the time or the energy to like commit my life, whatever, saving the planet. But like activism is so much more than that. And it's by choosing to just implement a little bit of activism every single day. And it can be, you know, how do you get dressed in the morning? Uh, what are the words you're choosing to, to say to the people around you? Like, what do you tell yourself? How often do you allow yourself to slow down? Um, what foods do you buy in the grocery store? Do you have some time to research like where you're putting your money in? Like what kind of like, yeah. what, where do they end up? So I think when you start to change the narrative around activism and see it as something that's not just good for the people and the planet, but actually really empowering to yourself and that really start creating happiness, I think you invite yourself to a whole new ball game. So we are super excited for this season. We have some incredible guests coming up and it's just so much wisdom and so many learnings we've been taking notes this whole season as we're recording this and we just want to say too that if you love an episode please share that with your friends and family let the guests know you loved it let us know you loved it always tag us on social media so we can share and yeah like reach out 
you know, we're here, we want to keep having conversations, we want to keep making this a dialogue that anyone can be part of. And we want to let you know, too, that we're learning. And we are, everyone is learning together. Like, this is something we have to keep. It's just a, an educational journey, we have to keep being on um, side by side, it's not just one leading in the front. So yeah, we're super honored to do this together and keep shedding light. Yeah, and you can come into this work at any level. Exactly. You can be anywhere. You can be so new to sustainability. You can be so new to any kind of advocacy work, or you, you know, you may be an expert and we, you know, reach out to us because we'd love to interview you too, you know, so we can all help to continue to have that ripple effect extend so much further. So just to echo what Anne-Therese said is please, you know, share this with friends and family because that really does, you know, help us to continue to do the work that we're doing. And it also can continue to spread the message that, we as individuals have huge power and can make changes. So that's what we're, that's what we're here for. Yeah. So Antrice, I have some questions for you to oh, really? know you better. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Let's jump into our sort of interview section of this episode today, because you have a really incredible story and you're such an important person in my life. So I think it would be great to share with our listeners a little bit more about you. You ready? Let's do it. <laughs> so Knowing you now, I feel like you were born an activist. Like, it seems like you came out of the womb and you were like, I'm ready, mama, let's do this. <laughs> um, you have cared about sustainability, animal welfare, people and the planet for a really long time. What has your journey been like? Have you always been an activist? Were you a child and you knew that you want to do this? How did this work begin for you? And what has the journey been like for you? Speaking of being an optimist in action, <laughs> or I don't know, a rebel in action, I actually came out of the womb sort of like a rebel, maybe not for the climate right away. But you know, if I could make my opinion heard some at some point, or you know, somehow I would. And there are so, so many stories for me as a very young lady, like age one and up, where I just refused <laughs> to do, you know, what was the status quo. Um, and I got in a lot of trouble, not trouble, but you know, I've had, I've heard stories from my parents and I was really young that I just wouldn't have it that way. Um, and now they have even told me when I'm, you know, almost 30, they say, we can look back now and understand, you know, why you've always been the way you've been and you know, what it's led to. But in terms of caring for the planet and people and animals, I, I mean, I did grow up in the countryside of Sweden. So I was always always very close to nature. One of my favorite things to do as a child was to jump on my bike and bike away to this kind of close by nature part of the world, like not, not a nature reserve, but it was a little mountain with some woods. And, you know, I would go there and play around the rocks. And sometimes I brought my dog and we would go on like mini adventures in the summers and just be out for hours and hours and hours. And um, so, yeah, I definitely grew up just loving nature and I always felt super comfortable there. And as I grew older, I think I was just super aware of things. Um, I was pretty young when I learned that there was this shortage of water in Africa and so many kids who were without water around the world. And so it just, it got, it was hard for me to see my friends or my family or myself like waste water. So I would go and like turn off the tap for people because I'm like, you know, there, there are kids in Africa without water. So like there was something connecting with me in a very early age that like, there are certain ways we live in this part of the world that is affecting other parts of the world. And I felt uncomfortable in my part in that. And then as I grew older, I learned more about environmental issues. I learned what it meant to recycle. I became the recycling cup amongst my friends. I would go and like pick things out of the trash and put it in the right bin, like that sort of things. 
Um, but as I learned more and more, I also understood that I had less and less power to do something because I'm such a small person in the world. And actually in my teenage years, um, and I've only just recently understood this, like looking back in hindsight and understanding all the patterns and seeing you know, what went down, uh, I slowly developed climate depression. Um, I think back then no one would have known what that term meant. I think now it's becoming increasingly common. Um, but yeah, I, I just, I felt so disempowered in not being able to do more and also talking about things like climate change and no one caring about it. And I'm like, how is it that people don't understand the urgency in the matter and like, how are we not doing more? So it was really hard for me to try to be this teenager in Sweden and just you know, get good grades in school and like work for a career and have fun with friends and be popular and like all that stuff. And at the same time, I had this really deep side of me that like really cared about the world and wanted to do something. Um, and it wasn't until, I mean, I went to school for marketing thinking like, okay, if you can learn how to trick people into buying stuff they don't need uh, and to eat <laughs> shit food and all this stuff. You mean like, surely you can use the same tactics and the same tools to also empower people to do something better. So I'm like, I'm going to go into marketing and I'm going to change the world this way. And like, I had this vision of like, if someone asked me in my late teens, like, what do you want to do? I, I would say like, I'm going to change the world. Like I couldn't explain it better. I just knew there was something there I had to do. Um, and so on that journey, I, I applied for an internship in my undergrad uh, to go and do an internship in New York City. So I went to New York, fell in love with that city. Um, and I kind of went there on a mission of like, I'm going to find my way. Like, I'm going to connect with all the eco people and like the environmentalists. And like, I'm going to somehow, you know, make it my way in the world of working for the climate in this world of marketing at the same time, living my dream of being in the big city like New York. And um, again, found myself just in this deep dissonance of like, I know what I want to do. I'm not working that way. You know, like my, my career in marketing is not heading me in directions that I thought I was going to go. Like, I don't want to work for an advertising firm having to sell Coca-Cola or whatever it is. Um, and that's how I decided to become a model. I thought to myself, you know, how can I get my message out there? You know, instead of having to work for a company that will, you know, hire me to amplify their message, how can I create my own and how can I amplify my own message? And back then I had like a couple of hundred followers on Instagram. They're all like family and friends. No one knew, no one like cared at all about what I had to say. And these people are already <laughs> sick and tired of hearing me talk about climate. And I thought to myself, okay, I need to become someone. And like all these Victoria's Secret models, they have like hundreds and thousands of followers and so many likes and they have so much influence and they're not using their influence for anything of value. Because back then that was the thing, you know, you posted a selfie and that was about it. And so I said to myself, okay, if you become a model, Maybe you can gain a similar platform and then you can speak up and then people will listen to you. So long story short, I started like reaching out to contacts in New York City. I was pretty old. I was 24, which for a model, Robin will tell it's you. It's surprisingly. Pretty old. Yeah, yeah. Models often kind of get scouted at 14, 15 and really start working at 18. So coming into it, if you're over 20, you're quote unquote, an older model, which is ridiculous, but part of how the industry works. So yeah, 24 is, ooh. Yeah. And, and you know what? I had that told to me too. I, I yeah. met 
amazing photographer in the Bronx and he shot me a few times. He's like, you know, I, I see you have, you have something there. Like I believe in you and you have an incredible energy. He's like, but you know, you're old. So you got to <laughs> fake until you make it. You're going to walk into that agency and say, I have all this experience from Sweden, <laughs> you know, like I know what I'm doing. He actually helped me facilitate, um, put together a portfolio with like different types of photography. So it looked like I had taken all That's the amazing. Now I'm coming clean here. Um, <laughs> but, you know, so he was just supportive and he, he was like, you know, and I, he, he asked me like, why do you want to be model so much? I'm like, well, I want to change the world. And he's like, That's a very grandiose mission you know but all right and he's actually afterwards kind of come to me and said you know I, I saw I see now what you were after um but anyways long story short I did get signed with an agency they did buy my bullshit um, that's amazing unfortunately they also thought I knew what I was doing so they sent me out to all these castings and I had no idea what to do and I'm like I don't know what I'm doing here um so my model career was pretty short but sweet because yeah I just didn't feel like that's what I was supposed to do you know I Going so to all then these you were like, and- <laughs> like, fuck this. I'm going to start my own agency. Yeah. I'm like, I don't want to go in like audition for a Halloween shoot. Like, and then put me this clown thing. And I'm like, I don't know what I'm doing here. And then I did get some modeling gigs, you know, like kind of behind the scenes stuff, you know, what you know how it can be sometimes. So oh, I yes. just found myself standing there. I'm like, again, what, what am I doing with my life? Like, this is not what it was supposed to, to be. And I also, I told my agency like, Hey, I'm super passionate about all these things. And I would love to work with clients and brands that like have a similar idea and a similar mission and and they just didn't understand at all what I was trying to say and so that's how I got the idea of you know an ethical modeling agency that would represent models like me that had you know deeper values they wanted to have um amplified and to work with brands that were really trying to make a difference in the world so that's how role models management came to be yeah. And Role Models Management now is this beautiful, well-established agency that you and Val Emanuel co-founded together. And I think there's other agencies who are following suit now. There's this amazing momentum that I feel like you ladies were both at the forefront of that models are not just clothes hangers, that we have personalities and passions and different talents and things. And so the the talent side I've seen more and more over my career of people wanting to be like, oh, well, do you skateboard or do you rock climb or different things like that? Are you a musician? But now there's this real understanding of you have your own unique voice and that can be amplified. And it just, it's so cool. I love, so I'm also signed with role models. of course. <laughs> so uh, I'm so happy that you have started this incredible agency that allows models to be genuinely who they are because for me, for a long time, I felt like I had to hide a part of myself or many pieces of myself, actually. So I love, you know, how you've created that. Um, one of the things I wanted to touch on was, so you are a very positive person and you approach life with this positivity. At the same time, it can be very painful when you are aware of what's going on, you know, as you do education around any topic that there's injustice, you know, whether it's, you know, horrible things that are being done to animals in the name of fashion or for science, um, you know, animal testing, whether it's things that are happening in the planet with, you know, you see these videos of the forest being cut down and the ant, like what's happening to the, the habitats and these ecosystems to, you know, how workers are treated to the injustices and impre- oppression for people who are BIPOC. There are so many places that we need to know what's going on. And at the same time, it is so painful. It is so painful to learn about it. it you know, at least I would say for, for someone like me, who's um, I'm very sensitive to this pain and it's been really hard for me at times. What are some of the key takeaways that you have learned to 
I mean, for me, I would phrase it as like protecting your heart in a way, mm. or, you know, what, what is it for you that allows you to take in the information that you need to know about what we, what's really going on so that we can find the solutions and support the solutions and also not die because it's so painful. <laughs> yeah. Oh, thank you for this question, Robin. Um, I think, like you just said, people kind of know me as this climate optimist. And that's also the branding and the message I'm putting forth a lot. But in reality, I am such a sensitive soul. I'm very empathic. Like there were times in the, when we lived in New York and I would come home after an event, just exhausted, like seeing a lot of people going in the subway, coming home, like just other people's energy in general is really not toxic to me, but like, I feel it. Right. Um, so I am very much an introvert. Um, I can live in the woods and just go on hikes by myself and I'm happy. Uh, with that said, um, to your, to your point, I, I think what, what, what hit me was this realization that awareness hurts, but that's okay. And those particular words I've, I've written down so many times because I think before I got, like, entered this mission of becoming a, a climate optimist, and I'll actually share that, share that story because I was home uh, living in my parents' apartment. I was like in between places. I'd just been in New York doing my internship and I was home for a little bit. And I remember having dinner with my family and like always they tend to be kind of heated conversations sometimes. And I had brought something up about the climate. I think it was about like washing your car on the streets and how like those toxins like run into the water stream, whatever. Um, something, I don't know, something not super, super important, but my brother loves to pick a fight, not a fight, but like he just loves to fuel an argument. Although he's on my side, he's like this, I love my brother. He's an incredible soul, super warm, cares about so many things, but he just had to be the devil's advocate, you know? And it was before I had gained a lot of self-confidence too. And I couldn't handle myself many times. And it ended up with me just kind of leaving the dinner table, dodging to my room. And I sat there and I ended up on the floor just crying. And it was not just like a cry, but like my whole body was shaking. Um, it, it turned into being a very like transformative experience. But after that deep cry, and I literally felt like I was holding on to grief of the whole world inside me. And I'm like, how is it that no one feels this? You know, like, how can they not understand that like trees are being cut down and animals are going extinct and like people are suffering. And like, how can we not see everything that's so bad in the world? And like this pain and anger and despair came like flushing out of me. And this is like one of the most meditative experiences I've ever had afterwards. And actually, I'll share this too. As I was sitting there, it may have gone on for a few minutes. I remember seeing my hands, but I couldn't feel them. Mm. Like I just, I was so paralyzed in my, in my grief. And it was like my body trying to just like let go of it. And the one thought that landed in my head after all of this was you're here to, to work for the climate, like the work you're here and care so passionately about, that's exactly what you're supposed to do. But you got to find a different way. You know, mm. everything you do moving forward has to come from excitement, from optimism. Like you have to think that we can do this. And that is supposed to be your voice in this world. It was like, it literally just came to me. And I'm wow. like, okay, you know, like I can keep trying to be an angry activist, trying to preach my message and trying to like shake people until they can't stand anymore. But they're not going to change, right? Because change doesn't come when it's forced upon you. You have to choose change. And so if I am, in, if I am to inspire, any, or, yeah, inspire anything to anyone, you, you got to come at it from a different angle. Like how can you make people want to change? Um, and, and then also like I am going to get sick over and over and over again if I keep trying to do it this way. So I need to take care of myself too. I need to fuel 
you know, the right energy that I need to move forward and like keep showing up for the work that I know I'm going to want to do for the rest of my life. And so being a climate optimist, it's not about living in some sort of delusion, you know, like it's not about being delusional and thinking that, you know, there's nothing like we're good, like nothing bad is going on. Like you're, it's deeply rooted in awareness. And sometimes that hurts really, really bad. I mean, I am personally very sensitive to fire season. So anytime there's a wildfire, although I know wildfires are, they're good for the, for the, for the forest if it's managed well but they're becoming increasingly um, common. So that's not a good thing. Right. But yeah, I would just say to your, to your question, I think it's not about protecting yourself. I think it's actually about opening up further, but then accepting those emotions. I think it's about healing constantly. Um, I have a practice I call healing journaling and it's just about acknowledging, releasing, letting go, writing about it, talking about it, Um, I think the best way to to kind of mend climate anxiety in general is to just keep having conversations about it, to understand that you, no matter who you are, have a right to grieve this, you know, like you have a right to be sad about what's going on. You have a right to be afraid. You have a right to be angry, but you should not hold on to these feelings. You don't have to keep feeling that way to make a difference. Actually, it's the day when you decide I'm going to heal myself and I'm going to empower myself that's when you start showing up as this change you want to see in the world. So I think that was a turning point for me to like tell myself, you do not have to feel this way. You know, like I have this analogy that I love. It's like if, if a friend falls down into, you know, a hole in the ground and he needs help getting up, do you want to throw him a rope and pull him up? Or do you want to jump down and be like, oh, I'm here with you? You know, <laughs> it's like, you're going to be like, well, I don't care if you're here. Like I wanted to get up. Now we're both stuck down here. It's like, you don't have to like sink yourself to the same level of pain. So I'm trying to say, like decide to be the most empowered, healthy, healed version of yourself and then help bring other people up to that same level. Um, yeah. Did I answer your question? It did. Yeah, it did. I love that. I love, I love awareness hurts and that's okay. It's such a simple, such a simple, it's only a few words. Awareness hurts and that's okay. I think that that for me is actually quite revolutionary because I think there's this part of me that has gravitated towards trying to protect myself and to shield myself. Uh, And I really like this idea of taking in the knowledge and knowing that it's gonna hurt and be painful and moving through it. Mm -hmm. You know, it's that, that concept of like the only way out is through. So we have to move through it and feel the emotions, honor the emotions, be real about what you're feeling and then release them. You don't have to hold on to them. We are not made up of our emotions. They are something that, you know, it's cycles, they're clouds, they come and go. So let them move through you and let them go. You don't have to hold on to them. So that is very helpful. And one thing I'll just say, because I get this question a lot, actually, people tend to feel so afraid of, of, of grieving what's happening to the earth and the planet and mother nature. Um, But I think if, if mother nature could speak, she would ask us to please feel her pain, you know, she like, not to like, again, like get lost in it, but like, she wants to heal more than anything. She wants to heal right now, but we, she can't, I think it's Joanna Macy who says you can't heal what you cannot feel. So in order to heal something, we got to feel it first. Right. And so, but our hearts can take that. We are, we are, you know, not giving our hearts the right credit because they can really, really feel that. And I think something else that she says, if your child is sick and ends up in the hospital bed, you're not going to just ignore that child and be like, Oh, Oh, I can't feel that. It's going to be too overwhelming. No, you'll sit next to your child's bed every single day 
and you'll be there in the sickness, in the darkness, through all the pain, right? Because you will show up with as much love as you possibly can, as much healing as you possibly can, as much optimism as you possibly can, because you want your child to heal. And we need to show up the exact same way for Mother Earth. Yeah. Amazing. I love that concept of like, we're her children, but we also need to treat her like she's our child, that she right. is she is someone that we love very deeply. And we need to have that nurturing, protective response. Amazing. I love that. Thank you, Andrees. You are. Um, (laughs) I I had another question for you about the collective. Can you tell us about the work you do in the collective and the climate optimist classes that you do? Yeah. So uh, you mentioned it briefly before, but I started the action squad uh, in September last year, just from this idea of like, there needs to be a community where people like myself can come together and keep reminding each other of how important our work is. You know, I think as activists, we tend to feel so lonely we tend to feel like, you know, it doesn't matter what I'm doing because the world is so large. And then you forget that, like, maybe just next door in the next house, there's someone else who also cares, right? And I think you said this to me, like, we need to help each other carry the torch. There are some days where you don't have the strength to show up as an optimist in action or as the change you wish to see in the world. But luckily, there's someone else doing it for you that day, you know? So, like, the more we can come together in community... Um, not just to strengthen each other, but to also just keep reminding each other, like this, this work is important and also share resources. And like, I just listened to this podcast and it was amazing. Sometimes I listen to something and I'm like, I wish I had a whole community to share this with because this is awesome. Right. And so I started the action squad on that idea that like, I want to start an online community. And then um, shortly thereafter, I realized that one of my friends, Monica from California, she was running a very similar community. So her and I were like, let's just come together and make this into one. (laughs) Uh, So (laughs) we merged into what's now the collective. Um, And as a member in the collective, you get to um, take part in all the things we're doing every month. We have a new theme, uh, something we learn about. So it could be animals and agriculture. It could be ocean preservation. It could be the Amazon, some sort of theme. And for the theme, we watch a film. So we purchase the right for a film. We have an expert panel or expert talk. We talk to someone who's really knowledgeable on the topic. We have this sort of initiative that we ask members to do. Okay, so this month, you're going to call your local electives and do this or that, or maybe so something like of a real actionable thing people can do. Um, and, and then I teach my climate optimist class. So that is just different ways of being an empowered activist. Um, super passionate about this. So the class is very many different pillars, but that's one of the month too, that people can come and take my class and ask questions. And then also you can every day at any time of the day, you can, you know, write a comment or share something. There's a feed, you can have a chat with people. Um, yeah, it's just a really nurturing environment for anyone who wants to be a change in the world. And from whatever level you're starting at, we have experts there. We have people who know very little, but wants to learn more. Um, and yeah, I, I would love for people to join because we have, we have members already from um, not all over the world, but from different places in the world. Um, and it's just a really cool community and very, a family feeling people just feel like you know we're in this together so that's awesome and yeah definitely yeah. and I'll say like I've loved because I'm, I'm part of the collective I've loved talking to people who are in one way like-minded but also come at things from a very different perspective so I've learned a lot just from the conversations I've had with other members where you know they'll bring up something I'm like oh I didn't see it that way or you know they'll send an article to everybody and be like you know this is my take on this what do you guys think and it's it's been really eye-opening and like you said very supportive and this feeling of this is our community and we can have support from each other so yeah I love I love the collective yeah yeah your climate (laughs) optimist classes are awesome so thank you yeah 
Okay. And I guess the last question I would have for you before we move on is what is a message that you want people to hear? Or even, let me, let me rephrase that. No, it's okay. What's a, you like that one? Yeah. Okay. Cause I was going to say, there's also the aspect of like your younger self. Mm. Okay. You know what I mean? Well, so this, these two can actually go together. Okay. Because I think a message that I would tell my younger self is also probably a message I would want people to hear. And one thing is, there might be a few messages here, but I'll just kind of like get them out. One thing is that life is supposed to flow. Trust the flow, trust the river of change. You know, um, I think sometimes when we're being too forceful, we're missing something. Um, we're supposed, life is supposed to be joyful. And not saying it's supposed to be easy because I think it's in challenges that we grow. Um, and, you know, like hardship is part of life. But like, just be more in every single moment and don't forget to live, right? And that does not mean that you have to just put everything else aside and not care about the world and all the social issues and climate issues, everything that we have to deal with. It, it means being part of that, you know? It means to show up every single day, but to not be overwhelmed because, we can only do one day at a time, but every single day we have the option to wake up and say, I'm going to be an optimist in action to whatever capacity I can do that today. Right. Uh, and some days we have more fire than others and that's totally fine. But I think not to forget that now is when it's all happening. And I think actually we are, we are in such a beautiful mode in history right now where I don't think we understand what we're on the go, like what's going on, like on a bigger scale. I think we'll look back in hindsight and say, whoa, <laughs> we had no idea what was about to happen or what was already happening. I think things are already happening and it's so easy to forget. Um, but yeah, I, I would say that to myself, my younger self and to anyone who's listening, just be here, love the ride, rock the ride, you know, get excited, um, be part of the change and keep creating that change every single day. It's not going to be over anytime soon. So we're going to find a way to really love doing what we do. Okay, Robin, <laughs> let's, let's get to know some more about you because you are an incredible human being. And um, again, just so, so awesome that you want to be my co-host for this podcast. But I mentioned briefly that you, you, you're a model, you're a model with us, we're models management. Um, you got scouted very early, but you have modeled professionally for 15 years which is, I don't think I've done anything with 15 years <laughs> other than being an optimist in action. Um, but, you know, so I think your life, especially as a young woman, has probably looked very different from most other people. So I'm just curious to hear, like, what, what, what made you choose this, this career path? Like, what made you want to be a model? And ultimately, what have you learned from it? Yeah, so I started modeling when I was 18 in Toronto, and I did not want to be a model. I wanted to be an artist. Mm -hmm. I have always had a fascination with beauty, with people, with women, and the just what is beautiful in the world. And I liked the idea of telling stories through art. And I was working in a hair salon as a teenager, and the receptionist every morning would greet me with, good morning, when are you going to go to Ford? And she just, she had been a model with Ford models. And she was like, when are you going to go to Ford? Every single day until finally I was like, Janice, I'll go. <laughs> and it was literally just to like satisfy this person that I went and did an open call and they offered me a contract. And I was like, oh shit, 
what am I doing? <laughs> so it's not so, supposed to happen. <laughs> no, it's, you know, I was, it totally took me by surprise. Um, I've always, I've, I mean, I love, I've loved fashion and I, I, I love beauty. So starting at a young age, I will say in many ways, it has been a beautiful, wonderful journey that I'm very grateful for. And in many ways, I look back and see that I paused parts of myself that I should not have paused. Mm. I stopped painting. I stopped playing basketball. I stopped um, playing guitar. I wanted my nails to all be the same length because when guitar, you know, you do your nails certain ways. I didn't want to go up to castings with paint on myself. I didn't want to have bruises from playing basketball. So there's all these things that I loved in my life that I just straight up quit and started focusing on, you know, you say jump, I say how high. And I put myself into that mindset. And I think in many ways it made me a very good model because I was very amicable. I have very strong peripheral hearing, which is a joke between me and Justin. I can hear what's going on in the background more than what's in front of me. So I was always hearing about what the creative directors were talking about and like ready before they even had to communicate it to me. But at the same time, I feel like I lost myself in some mm. ways. And I always had this sense that I wanted to do more with my life. Uh, I was taking correspondence courses. I switched from arts um, to women's studies. So I was learning about feminism and structural racism and white supremacy and patriarchy. And I was learning all these things. I'm like, cool, after I finish this class, now I'm just gonna go and be the face of some of this stuff. So it was very confusing for me. I thought about quitting many times and I kind of kept back coming back to my day-to-day -day experience is so positive. The people that I work with are so wonderful and creative. I know there's a path for me here. Just keep going. And I had this sense that I wanted to do more, but I wasn't sure how. And then I had, so two things happened. One is I had my son and that terrified me in the sense that I was, I was like, holy shit, what world am I bringing my child into? And for the first six months of my child's life, I cried probably every night before I went to sleep, just racked with fear about what world have I brought a child into. Mm. And I was, again, it was like, I want to do more. I want to do more of this feeling. And then for me, I mean, maybe I'm like totally remembering this, you know, I've, I've like made up a narrative in my own head, but for me, I feel like I came across this post and I can see it in my mind of you on a mountain. And I started reading about like what you were saying about how to approach climate change and how we as individuals, how we can have a part in, in finding solutions and, you know, putting pressure on brands and how we can approach our lives to, to create positive changes in the world. And I just had this sense of like, oh my gosh, like, this is, this is me. This is what I want to be doing. I want to be a positive person in the world. I don't have to live in fear. I can do these little, it feels so small, these little micro habits, these little tiny adjustments, you know, switch this toothbrush to this toothbrush, you know, eat this instead of this. There's all these little teeny things that feel so small if you look at it in a vacuum, but they add up to such big changes. And those habits, those swaps, those shifts, the change in attitude and perspective, it's completely changed my life. So I really do attribute like the turning point for me is this hairpin moment of literally just being on Instagram <laughs> and seeing Anturi. <laughs> so, you know, through that, we started talking, you know, we, I signed, I signed with role models. We would go to some of the same events. I joined uh, Model Mafia, 
which is a self-organized group of women who use their platform to uh, create change. So they're models who are also advocating on behalf of causes that they care about. A beautiful, diverse group of women. And through that, I had the opportunity to take on some leadership roles. So it was right, it was, so literally I, I can say my, my advocacy and activism started in the summer of 2019 leading up to the climate marches where I helped organize a rally in front of Spring Studios where we raised awareness for the climate marches by getting Instagram, you know, influencers and the, you know, the fashion elite who were coming and going from Spring Studios, which is where they host New York Fashion Week. We were out there with signs talking about, I'm a model asking the industry to change or, you know, the, um, you know, we're, we would like to see more sustainable fashion and having people hold up these signs and taking photographs and how that transpired into, um, I believe it was Vogue Brazil picked up that story. We had Getty images, you know, we had all this covered. So that was like my first taste of being out there in the world and like really like banging the drum. And that for me, I was like, yep, I love this. <laughs> I'm in. <laughs> well, before we move on, I just want to kind of say, because I'm trying to think of the post you may have seen on me on a mountain. And it was definitely when I was living in San Francisco. Yeah. Um, you were in California at that time. Yeah. And I, I remember around that time, that was when I was starting to really practice feeling more comfortable in the message that I wanted to say, you know, without worrying about how it's going to be perceived. I just had this mm -hmm. inner voice that I knew I wanted to speak out to the world. And I started to just tell myself, you know, just write what you want to write and put it out there. You know, like you want to, this is a message you, that you want to be heard. So just say it. And it was so scary. I remember like really having a hard time posting those sort of imageries or those posts. And I just want to like, for me to hear you say that, um, it just reminds me of how we have no idea that once we start speaking our truth, yeah. Someone out there will see that and you have no idea that you might change that person's life, right? That could be that one turning point for someone who to say, okay, th that's it. Like I'm inspired to make some, some difference in my own life. So for anyone who's listening, um, you know, I know it's terrifying and it's, you know, one of the scariest things to do, but like we need people right now to feel comfortable being vulnerable, sharing the messages and speaking the truth. So just want to say that. Um, yeah, definitely. And so you, I said you, you, you were young, but like, how old were you when you started modeling? I started modeling at 18. 18. So I'm 30. Yeah, I'm 34 now. So you look so young. <laughs> 30, 34, it's young. It's good. Um, but I also, my mom, my mom has this thing about um, getting old is her biggest goal in life. Oh, I love that. I know. My mom's like a badass. So she's, yeah, she's a big inspiration of like being like, let's be like pro age. Like I love looking young. I'll take it all day long. Like, you know, I'm definitely still <laughs> fall prey to some of the messages of our culture. But um, I also think, you know, getting older is awesome. I, I like myself way better now than I did when I was younger. I just feel same. so much more comfortable in my own skin. Yeah. Um, same. I can't, I always say that I can't <laughs> wait to be like, you know, 75 and just bake cookies all day and run around, you know, with little, I don't know, eco cups. Um, <laughs> but I was just going to ask you, cause I think it's so interesting what you said about like putting your life on pause. And I think a lot of young people or people in general can really relate to that. You know, like you get this career opportunity and you're like, okay, this is it. You know, like I, I, I need to take this. I can't just, you know, throw it out the window. How did you, have you found your way back or like how has, cause I know you, you're still modeling. You're still a model, although COVID has kind of like put a spin to the, the industry at large, but what would you say was the turning point? Like when did you realize you had put things in a pause and how did you start integrating back into your life? 
It was after I had Caden. It was after I had my son. So, I mean, I think looking back, it's actually one of the things I, I probably regret most in my life is all of the things that I love doing that I stopped doing because I thought that I needed to do that to um, be a certain way for somebody else. And so I, I, I certainly, I think that's the thing I regret most. It, I, it, I feel very sad when I think about that because I, I used to paint, I used to write poetry. I was just so active. I played sports and I just stopped all of that. So after I had my son, I had this sort of identity crisis of, oh my gosh, I'm a mom. You know, I'm going to like step into this role of mom hardcore. Mm -hmm. So I did tons of research about, you know, gentle parenting and peaceful parenting and all of these kind of parenting practices. And um, I, I thought that my identity had shifted from I'm a model to I'm a mom. And once Kanan wasn't a baby anymore and he, I did, I, it wasn't so intensive, you know, cause that first year is, is tough. And I, I nursed for a long time. So and I was pumping and stuff. So it was like, I was his life support system, you know, for that first year in a way. Um, then I had this sort of identity crisis of like, okay, wait, if I'm not just a model, I'm not just a mom, like, who am I? And it's been a, a, a process of unfolding. I wouldn't say it was any one thing. Certainly doing some therapy has really helped me. My therapist asked me the question, who are you without the doing? Hmm. And it like freaked me out for like a few weeks. I was like, I don't know who I am. I don't know. Like everything that I know about myself is def defined by what I do and how the outside world perceives me. You know, 15 years of creating my identity around what other people think of me and whether or not I can fit into this box of an image of that they have to sell this thing is like, it put me like, I imagine a cookie cutter shape and I'm always trying to like slam myself into the cookie cutter shape. I'm like, I swear I fit this shape. And really I just need my own shape, you know? So in terms of coming back to myself, um, Justin and I play basketball in the summers. I have started, I, I put my artistic energy more into crafts with my son now. So I'm not creating like big canvases and stuff. I'm finding other ways to spread messages that I think are important. I still think as an artist, like I come up with these ideas of things. I had this whole series of like, I want like men to like put a tampon in their ear, like it's a cigarette and like have this thing of like masculinity, feminine. Like, so I still like have all these ideas, but um, I'm putting more of my creative work into both my son and then also finding ways to do it. You know, like doing this podcast with you, it allowed me to see myself in different ways and take up work that I had never done before. Um, just some of the organizational stuff and reaching out to, you know, different brands and things. So um, I'm still finding myself. And you will keep <laughs> finding yourself for the rest. Of, you know, I think that's, yeah. that's part of it. You know, it's like yeah. not defining ourselves, not putting ourselves like under titles. I hate titles for that reason. You know, it's like you, you just put up a border to who you can be, you know, like, I don't want to yeah. tell, like, I actually, a very concrete example, I, became a vegan. And so I was a vegan for a very long time. And there were times when like, Arthur and I would go after a hike into this cute town in, in, in California, right, right just north of San Francisco. And I remember walking up and saying, I'm vegan, what can you serve me? And they came out with this super ass boring pasta dish of like rice noodles <laughs> and like tomato sauce. And I'm like, this is sad, you know what they created. <laughs> and then Arthur got this like plate of Parmesan cheese right next to me. But now since I had said out loud that I was vegan, I couldn't just sprinkle some cheese on my plate because I'm like, who am I? You know, so I was like, damn you. What did you have to say that? Like, 
this is for a whole different topic, like me being a recovering vegan and whatnot. I, I can talk about that for hours, but, but I just think it's just really important to understand that we're here to evolve and continuously learn new things. And you're someone who's always sharing what you're learning on social media, especially when it comes to navigating the BIPOC community and gay rights and like all these sort of things, like the language around that and like how to be thoughtful and respectful when we talk about these things and I learn so much from just following you so like I'm always resharing what you're sharing because I'm like this is brilliant <laughs> we need to like keep sharing this so I think what we're coming to in this day and era is like how can we learn more right it's not about being right it's like how can we continue to be wrong because the more we can be fine with being wrong we can actually open up for more conversation uh, and more learning yeah and it's totally it's about a practice like I love that idea of like I like for me I always say I eat vegan but I'm not vegan. And like, I feel that way about modeling too. Like for many years, I actually refused to call myself a model. I just modeled, Mm. you know, it's something that I practice. It's something I participate in, but it's not who I am. Oh, I love that. And I think that's true for so many things. And also just um, coming to, I totally lost my train of thought. That's okay. (laughs) (laughs) Well, so, okay. So, so a few more questions I have for you, Robin. First, I just want to kind of follow up on what you said about when you first had your son in the first few months, you were kind of crying yourself to bed because you're like, what kind of world have I brought my son into? I want to hear when that shifted for you and how has having a son changed your view on the world? So my dad said something really beautiful to me. He said, you don't know what child you're bringing into the world and how they may have a role to change the world. Mm. And that was really helpful for me because I really have, I've always wanted to be a mom. I've been looking forward to this for a really long time, but when it actually came down to doing it, I was freaking out about it because the world is in so much chaos and turmoil from what it looks like from our little human view out in the world. So having that reassurance from my family that there is a purpose for me to be a mom, for the child that I bring into the world, all of that is important and there's a reason for it. That was really helpful, a really helpful shift for me. Um, and when my, when Caden was six months old, I mean, part of it was this, the SIDS thing So, you know, sudden infant death is something that you learn about as a parent and as a new parent. And it's just so scary because it's so unpredictable and you just, it just, there's no warning. Mm -hmm. So after he was out of, like, after he was six months old, that was part of what helped me to breathe a little bit better is that he's out of this time frame where, you know, this scary thing can just happen for seemingly no reason. Um, And as he got older, I felt more empowered that you know, the le- it's like the less that he needs me directly, the more he needs me to be engaged in what I'm doing in the world and the world that I'm setting up for him to step into every day. So, you know, now that he's almost four, I mean, we read these incredible books by, I mean, I'm just blown away by the authors who are creating children's books these days. We were reading a book called The Water Protectors. I'll have to, we'll put it in the show notes who the authors are because I can't remember right now, but it's about Native people standing up against the pipeline and the story and the illustrations and everything are so beautiful for his age. And he was like, mama, we should take a hammer and break the pipeline. I was like, baby, I know. Like he had so many things to say about, I mean, so many of the issues, if you explain them to a child, a child can tell you like, hey, that's not cool. We should stop the people who are building the pipeline. I was like, yeah, I know. I agree. Let's do that. So 
me participating in things in the world. I mean, Caden came with me. We had a local um, Black Lives Matter rally here. And so he came with me and I walked with him on my shoulders for an hour and he was so serious and just taking it all in. So as he gets older, I really want to set up a world for him and our family and our community where he knows it is our responsibility to take care of the earth and to fight oppression. And we have a role to play in that. And so for me as a parent, I'm always looking at what are ways that I can share that message with him that's accessible for him. So stories and having, you know, diverse toys, those sort of things are really important. And um, yeah, I think that engaging in meaningful daily actions is something that helps me to know who I am more, I would say. I love that. And also for anyone who doesn't know Caden, he is the most incredible child. Sometimes Robin would send me like a voice memo of like, you, have, you can't believe what Caden just told me. There's something about microorganisms or composting or like dinosaurs being in cars. And I'm like, this yes. child. Or <laughs> love it. There's a, he said recently, he said, there's a, a boy God, there's a girl God, and there's a non-binary God. Wow. Like, Smart awesome. child. I'm down, I'm down with that. He's, yeah, he's going to be four in April. So, I mean, and it's funny because when you would tell me about what you were like as a child, I was like, oh my God, Caden's going to be a change maker like Aunt Therese. It's going to be okay. <laughs> all right, Robin, I have two more questions for you. Um, okay. First of all, I know that you're working on some amazing projects outside of this podcast. So do you want to just share quickly what that is? Yeah, I'm working on a platform called Parents for the Planet and it is a place for parents to come in wherever they are on the journey to learn about how they can make changes in their lives as a family to create positive change in their family, in their communities, and in the world. So I want to help empower the next generation of change makers. I think parents and families hold a huge amount of power because you know, we're a demographic where we have a lot of buying power. So the kinds of choices that we're making when we're buying clothes for our family, when we're buying food for our family, you know, the cars we choose to drive, the way that we choose to, you know, use transportation, the communities we choose to live in and shape, um, families have a huge amount of power. And I haven't seen that really tapped into in a big way. And I would love to be introduced to it if there's more, you know, movements going on out there. But I want to see families be at the forefront of policymaking and change because we are in a way the, we are that bridge between older generations, you know, taking care of our parents and things like that and the future generations. Mm. And I just think that families have so much power. And so I want to help empower families to create changes in their lives. So it's educational. There's, um, you know, resources that you can download for, you know, book lists to, you know, read with your kids and for yourself to educate. And I'm writing articles. So it's still new. So if you want, if you go on to parents for the planet right now, you'll see that there's just a little bit of content, but there's going to be more and more throughout the year, because I just want families to have an opportunity to realize that they are incredibly powerful when it comes to being a chain a force for change in the world i'm so proud i feel like not <laughs> only have i birthed a climate activist i birthed yes. a climate leader <laughs> you know like i have this oh, I, um, I learned this quote by i was actually al gore who said it in one of my classes last summer he said leaders don't create more followers 
they create more leaders. And I just love that, you know, like that's how yeah. it ripple affects, you know, you want to empower yeah. someone else so they can start making their own movements. And so this is beautiful. Okay. Mm-hmm. One final question I have for you before we go into a rapid fire session. Um, yes. You have gone through a lot of change in your life. Um, you know, changing identity, changing career, changing view on the world and understanding for, you know, what your purpose is for anyone who might be ready to make some changes, but not know where to start or what it takes, if they have what it takes, what would be your like Robin Shaw advice on that? Okay. When you're done listening to this podcast, go over to the mirror, look yourself in the eye and say, you matter. Your voice matters. Your choices matter. Everything that you do has an impact. So everything that you do has the possibility to harm or to help. So my message that I, I just, I say this to myself, I say this to my family, and I say this to you, dear listener, is you matter. And Never underestimate your own power. You are so powerful to be a change maker for your family, for your community, and for the world. And our season is over. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Robin. Okay. This okay. is so funny. We've, we've done this rapid fire session with so many of our guests and they turn out to sometimes not be so rapid fire. So I'm going <laughs> to challenge us now. These need to be rapid fire. Okay. Oh, Okay, we'll right. do our best. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I'll, I'll start asking you. Okay. Fill in the blank. I believe in a positive future because? I believe in a positive future because it is our divine right as beings alive today in the world to create a positive future. Okay, Antrice? Oh, God. <laughs> this is what am I supposed to say? Um, <laughs> I believe in a positive future because there is no other way I would want to live my life. Mm. Yes. Okay, Antrice, this is the question that's been driving me crazy all season long. <laughs> <laughs> morning bird or night owl? Oh, such a morning bird. I oh know. Oh my God. Okay, rapid fire. I'm just going to say morning bird. How about you? I am such a night owl and I'm going to add to this and not be so rapid fire because everybody that we've interviewed is a morning bird, except for one person. Mm -hmm. And I am trying to be a morning bird, but naturally I gravitate towards creativity at night. And that's one of the reasons why being an artist worked so well for me in the past. But I am learning that being a morning bird is a really important way to create change in your life. And you inspired that too. So, hey, thanks. (laughs) (laughs) I just love mornings. I don't know what to say. It's my favorite time of the day. So I wouldn't have it any other way. But I also go to bed at like 9.30, 10. So that's why. You have to. That's how it works. <laughs> that's how it works. Okay, Robin, favorite quote. Okay, I have two favorite quotes. Okay. One of them is by Goethe. It's whatever you can do or believe you can, begin it. Boldness has genius, power, and magic in it. Begin it now. Mm. Okay. And then the other one, which is really long. I don't have to say the whole thing, but it's Our Deepest Fear by um, Marianne Williamson. I can, I have it in front of me, but it's, it's a bit long. We can just include it in the show notes. Maybe. Okay. So go to the show notes or look up um, our deepest fear by Marianne Williamson. Cause it's beautiful. It talks about how my favorite line from it is as we let our own light shine, we unconsciously give other people permission to do the same. It's about stepping into your own power and not feeling guilty or bad about shining your light and being bright and how important it is to be your authentic self. 
I love that. That just that one line is a quote in itself. I would say, yeah. yeah. Well, I would say I would have to the quote I keep mentioning in my climate optimist class, which is "Keep some room in your heart for the unimaginable." I was hoping you were going to say that. Yeah. Similar to how Robin said she saw my post and it changed her life. I saw that post on my Instagram and it changed my life. And you say it one more time. Keep some room in your heart for the unimaginable. And it gives me goosebumps just thinking about what that unimaginable can be. You know, like what is the world we could create if we just allowed ourselves to think of the unthinkable? So, yes, absolutely. So powerful. Um, Okay. What is a book that you read that really stuck with you? Oh gosh, um, hands down for me, it's Me and White Supremacy by Layla F. Saad. It is such a transformational book and I am in my second book circle now um, studying that again. So mm. it's a really powerful, important book and I feel like it should be required reading for every teacher, every student, you know, every person who is white, white passing or white adjacent. Me and White Supremacy by Layla F. Saad. And I read it on prompts from you and it changed my life too. So I can really, you know, um, yeah. recommend anyone to read it. I would say for me, um, there are so many books. I'm a real book nerd, but a book I read last summer that changed a lot of my narrative around climate change. Um, or two, actually, this one called What We Think About When We Try Not to Think About Global Warming. And from my mm-hmm. psychology, me trying to figure out how to help people understand the whole thing, that was really helpful. I took so many notes. Um, but another book that was just beautiful is um, Charles Eisenstein's book, Climate, A New Story. And uh, it's a pink purple cover and it's beautiful just to look at. And it just has such a beautiful empowering stories too. And you really rethink about, you, you rethink everything. Like what's our, our part in the world and how can we be part of making a new world come true? So I love that book. Nice. I have that on my reading list. Okay. A mantra or phrase that you repeat to yourself? Um. God. And now I realize how hard this question is and people keep saying it's a hard one. I, I keep changing it up because I do make, I do make affirmations for myself every morning, but it's something simple as like, you're enough, you know, you have what it takes right, right now, right today, right. Like in, in this very moment, you have what it takes. Nice. Yeah. How about you? Um, I heard this in a ritual podcast where he's interviewing Andrew, Dr. Andrew Huberman. And he said this in passing, Um, But he said, this is the work. This is the good part right here. And it was in this whole conversation, but I like stopped and wrote it down because every time I'm feeling crappy or not enough, you know, or I'm doubting myself or it's hard or like, I know I need to work out because I'll feel good, but I don't want to, whatever it is, I just think this is the work. This is the good part right here. And it reminds me that life is really juicy. And that that juice has a sweetness and a bitterness, you know? So it, it, for me, it brings me back to really appreciating the journey. Love that. Oh, okay. We're kind of bad at this, by the way. Um, I, I, you're like, we're going to do it rapid. I was like, we'll see. We'll see about that. <laughs> if you could instill one change in the world right now, what would that be? Oh my gosh. This one is the hard one for me because there's so many things. Um, I think... If I could do it, you know, in like this kind of big picture, magical way, it would be to open up everybody's heart to be more empathetic. You know, that anybody who is working with other people, anybody who's working with animals, anybody who's working with the land, that they just have this surge of empathy and love flow through them so that 
whatever they're doing, whatever their interaction with is in the world, that they do it with love and respect and tenderness and care. I love that. Yeah, I think it's a similar lines. I think what I would really, I would want, this is maybe not so much a change in the world, but if I could just kind of like go into everyone's brain or heart and kind of turn a little bit you know, yeah. in, the, in the wheels, um, I would just say like people accepting being wrong. I think so many issues in the world are just rooted in our stubbornness and our fear and our pride and, you know, our, our attachment to identity. And, you know, the sooner we can just accept being wrong and being more open to what else is out there, we open up to a whole different world. Right. So I think that's something I would kind of want to do, go into people's hearts and just like do a little bit of like a tweaking and say, it's okay to be wrong. It's fine. Yeah. You can ask questions and learn something new. And I think too, like in like, like the world in general, like everyone right now, like we created a society and we built on this society for so long and like the industrial revolution. And like, we have so much, you know, awesome things that was created in this. And we don't want to like go of that, but like, we have to move forward, you know? Yeah. So I think just releasing and letting go and, and letting that world crash to create something new. I think that's what I want to make happen. Yeah. Yeah. We're making it happen. <laughs> okay. So on that note, what is something you're letting go of? <sighs> the thing that comes to mind for me right now is self-doubt. Yeah. Just letting go of imposter syndrome, letting go of feeling like I need to have all the answers before I start letting go, of feeling like I can't be wrong. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah. I think very similar uh, imposter syndrome or control something I've been letting go of for a while, but needing to know what the next thing is and needing to know what's going to happen and just trusting the flow is yeah. something I continue practicing to let go of. Yeah. So healing. Oh, and perfectionism. Oh yeah. <laughs> for me is like, yeah, yeah, letting it be this. Yeah. Yeah. This has been a really good journey for me, this podcast of letting go of perfectionism. And it's been great. It's mm. actually so, I feel a sense of ease letting go of that, you know, approach to life. And I feel like COVID really fueled that too, you know? Yeah. It lowered people's expectations of audio quality and like, you know, <laughs> anything, everything, like passion, yeah. you know, it's like, just put them on whatever feels comfortable today and show up. Yeah, yeah definitely. So what are you um, inviting more of? I'm inviting more of being in the present moment. When we did our, uh, Bruce Lipton interview and he talked about, you know, what does chocolate taste like? That was just such a beautiful aha moment. And so now I just, you know, I feel the feeling of my dog's fur when I pet her mm -hmm. and I really focus on what the light looks like on my son's face when he's playing and just all like those little moments being in the present moment. You know, I need to have you ask me the questions first. <laughs> you keep stealing my answers. Um, <laughs> I was going to say the same thing, like just being present. And that's another thing that kind of COVID brought for me. One of the things I do now is um, I, in the morning, sometimes the morning look different, but I would probably go for a walk and come back and then I'll make my coffee. And before I go sit by my computer, I will step out, even if it's freezing cold out and have my first sip of coffee outside, listening to the birds, feeling the cold on my skin. And in that short minute, I just know why I'm here. You know, it's such a beautiful moment. And I live for those moments now. It's like, that is what it, what, that's what it means to be fully present. Yeah. Um, and it, it takes just short moments like that to fuel you for a full day. So totally the same thing. So Anne Therese, the last question for you, 
what does being an optimist in action mean to you? To me, being an optimist in action means that you show up every single day or as often as you have the energy to just being the change you wish to see, no matter how small or how big and how impactful, just keep being the change, keep believing that there is something else out there and show up for that work in optimist in action. Being an optimist in action to me means knowing that you have power and that you can make a difference in the world. It means choosing to see the positive in the world, choosing to create positivity in the world, choosing to be optimistic, and then creating that optimism in your life and in your community. Thank you for joining us for another episode of the Hey Change podcast. If you'd like to support the show, please share this episode with friends, family, or someone in your network. Also, don't forget to give it five stars in the app so that we can reach more listeners just like you. We love hearing from our listeners, so please tag us when you share this episode on social media. We'd love to connect with you and learn about what you are doing too. You can find where to reach us in the show notes. Before you go, we'd like to invite you to pause and to think about this one final question. What does being an optimist in action mean to you?